Hey, this is Coach Colette, and I'm really excited to let you know about a new segment. It's called Coach Chat. It's where I have conversations with fellow wellness experts, entrepreneurs, and other leaders in their industries who are seeking to help female founders, women of color, and people in communities of color in general to be more healthy, to be more vital, to be more vibrant, and to be more successful. So for this first episode, the launch of Coach Chat, woohoo! I'm excited to share my conversation with Dr. Angela Clack. She's a licensed psychotherapist, and she is based in South Jersey, and we have had a wonderful conversation about our personal journeys. We actually got pretty candid about our personal journeys with mental health and self-care as Black female founders. So listen up. Hi, this is Coach Colette, host of the Start Within podcast, and I am really, really excited today to welcome in my guest, Dr. Angela Clack. She's a licensed psychotherapist based in South Jersey, and she and I met last year at the Resiliency Project Self-Care Symposium up in Hartford, Connecticut, and Through our planning of that conference, I knew that I really wanted to continue the conversation with her. She is the author of Women of Color Talk, Psychological Narratives on Trauma and Depression. So I'm excited to welcome you to this podcast, Dr. Angela. Hi, thank you. I'm excited to have this conversation. And um, yes, it was a good time up in Hartford. I mean, uh, Hartford, right? Were we in Hartford? We were in Hartford. I know. It's hard to remember sometimes, right? <laughs> I know it's Connecticut, but I had an awesome time. That was such a great event. And I love, love networking with people that are not always in the mental health field. That to me is exciting. That's fun. I get to ho- have a whole nother level of conversation. So um, that was a good time. Yes, yes, yes. And so I'm excited today to talk about mental health as as black women, as, you know, founders or, you know, owners of our own businesses and really talk about what are some of the strategies that you recommend or that you use with clients as well as your personal experience, um, like like the personal experiences that I've had as well. Okay. Sounds good. Awesome. So, so how long have you been uh, a female founder or owner of your own practice? So I'll, I'll preface it this way. So I've been in the mental health field for 20 plus years. I'll say about 25 when I started out after I got my master's. And, but actually as an entrepreneur and businesswoman and CEO of my own private practice, the last 10 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've always worked for someone or some other group I was a partner or a part of, and then having established my own private practice, I want to say maybe a, just slightly over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And was that an intentional decision? Like you said, okay, I'm ready to jump out onto my own and launch this private practice? Oh, no, Coach Collette, it was not. <laughs> um, it never I, is, is it? <laughs> I mean, um, was... Um, 
quite an arduous task. But you know, I like the fact that we're talking about this because what helped me to take that leap of faith was getting a coach. Mm. I had been, at this time, I had been working for one of the state facilities in New Jersey for about eight years. And I knew it was time to do something else. Um, but there was, you know, security in that position. You know, at that time, I was like a lead clinic, clinical supervisor. And it was making decent money. I can't say I was making, you know, a lot more than I think I am now. But um, it was decent money. And I really liked what I was doing in terms of um, oversight for the mental health uh, care of the um, committed youth. So those who have committed some kind of offense and were incarcerated. What helped me to move was that there was a shift in the philosophy of treatment with the care of the youth there. And it came down to the point where my license, well, the mental health department as a whole, our licenses were on the line. Mm. So the powers to be that weren't mental health um, were making some very, very risky, poor, impulsive um, decisions. And it caused all of our department to be called on the carpet in a, in a lawsuit. Wow. And, you know, just by that alone, all of us had to go through the depositions and all of that. And I knew then that the direction that this was going in was not, it was going to rob me of my ability to do my job the way that I knew ethically and morally it should be done. Mm. And, and so I kept hemming and hawing the whole time. My husband kept saying, what are you waiting for? I told you to do this five years ago. <laughs> so there was the pressure with that. And finally, um, I got a coach. She helped me really to gain the emotional strength to believe in myself and to believe if I took the leap of faith that what I had hoped would happen would with hard work. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I worked with her and I actually transitioned into my private practice. So I started out full-time, leave my full-time job, rushed to an office I was renting for two evenings a week. I went from two evenings, the practice grew quicker than I thought, mm -hmm. which helped me to transition out. So it was really a push from a bad situation into where I am now. Right, right, right. And, and I love what you're saying about the, the leap of faith and then getting support to take that leap of faith. And it sounds like the coach that you were working with it was doing something that I, that I love to or aim to do with my clients, right? It's like holding the space bigger than you might have even imagined it or seen it, seen it at that moment in time. Absolutely. Yes. So, so it sounds a little like you kind of had at one point kind of like a little bit of a side hustle and the full-time yeah. thing. So, and there are a lot of, I know people out there that are doing that. Were there, was that stressful? Were there things that you did to, to, to maintain some kind of balance during that period? No, back then I wasn't even aware as much as I have been in the last 10 years about self-care. Mm. It was a hustle because I was working in the commute from that facility to my private practice was an hour and a half. Mm. So I had to leave that place at a certain time, get through traffic and get to that office to meet my clients. And I was working until eight or nine o'clock at night. Mm. So two or three days like that um, was a hustle. And then, like I said, it grew faster than I thought. So 
sooner or later, I knew that I had to come out of there full time. And so eventually I knew I couldn't keep leaving like my job two or three minutes early just to get on the road. You know, I was shortchanging some myself somewhere. Right. So it was a bit of a hustle and, and it was pretty stressful. And self-care was the furthest thing from my mind. I was very focused on getting that practice up and running. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about the business part. That's where I really think that clinicians that are becoming entrepreneurs or the entrepreneurial clinician, you don't get business knowledge and business practical information in graduate school. Mm-hmm. And so I was learning as I was going along. And so I made a lot of mistakes that cost me time. Right. And time translates into money. And so there's a lot of things that now I don't regret because it taught me things that now I know I pay people how to do, right. but at least I know what they're doing. Got it. Got it. So, when would you say the uh, self-care light bulb turned on for you then? Let's see if I've been in my private practice 10 years. I want to say about maybe halfway through. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in the last five, six years, has it been like, okay, I'm sure I'm not supposed to be running like this. I'm sure <laughs> that I'm missing uh, more sleep than I need to. I'm probably gaining weight because I'm eating in the car. Um, yeah, when I started to know my health was affected, then I knew like, okay, this has to change. Right, right. So, so how do you nurture your, your own mental health and physical well-being now? So now I'm so much more intentional about how I schedule my clients, um, creating enough breaks in my schedule, making sure that I am drinking my water and taking my vitamins. And when I can, getting in walks in the afternoon in between my clients. And then if I can't, then I just ultimately have to wait till I get home. Mm-hmm. Um, but those kind of things that more intentional things that I really, and for me, I like doing things socially. So going to conferences for me is as much information as is, is social, um, the social kind of connections that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I love reading. I love traveling. So I try to now build in things into my practice so that now I have freedom and choice to do things that I want to do mm-hmm. while I'm also working on the things that need to get done. Right, right. And in some ways, I think, you know, and and myself included, right, how is it that we are walking our own talk, right, the things that we might recommend or or suggest that our clients do to maintain and nurture their their mental health and physical well-being? It's like, how do we build time in our schedules, like you're saying, to do the same? And that's the other thing that convicts me, is that when I'm talking to a client that I am encouraging or instructing or recommending um, self-care and health care, that I may be saying something to them where I've slipped. Mm. And I'll try to be very transparent. I say, look, I've kind of fallen off of my walking schedule or I don't drink as much water as I need to, but I'm telling you how I learn from my mistakes. So sometimes that helps me to remember, okay, Never, and that's one thing I taught myself a long time ago, never ask a client to do something you wouldn't do. Oh, that's good. So, you know, if you're not going to, if you're doing, and I learned this when I was in graduate school where they used to do the old shame attacking exercises as part of a abnormal psych class where you send someone on this um, behavioral experiment where they do something really silly in the public um, to, that typically would be interpreted as shame, but the person kind of goes through that process and realize, oh, it wasn't so bad at all. 
So we would get people really crazy things. I want you to go stand at the top of the elevator mall and scream, I am whatever, right? <laughs> and I thought, I wouldn't even do that. So I'm not going to give someone an assignment of something that I wouldn't do, no matter how effective someone said it would be. So right. now when I think about what I'm giving people, I consider the context in which you know, they live and how they function and how they're coping and try to get as close to um, some kind of a challenge for them. But if I know I wouldn't do it myself, I'm not going to put someone else under that kind of pressure. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And I think that there's, I mean, there's a whole concept of shame. Like we could have a whole nother episode just on, <laughs> on shame. Um, mm-hmm. That sense of, although what I'm hearing from you is like, how do we set stretch goals, right? Or stretch opportunities for our clients so that they can step out of their comfort zones and hopefully gain some insight and perspective without this aspect of shame or judgment yeah. or guilt. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Got yeah. it. So, so what, if anything, do you think is unique for um, black female founders or, you know, black owners of small businesses when it comes to um, mental health or even physical well-being? Are there things that we maybe could pay more attention to or are there areas where we're actually doing maybe really well? Oh, so that's a really good question. The first thing that comes to mind is our physical health. Mm-hmm. And the numbers of women who are suffering and or have had some kind of heart issue, mm. whether it's a, a heart attack and they're on disability now mm-hmm. or some kind of heart arrhythmia. Um, and it's often connected to their weight. Mm-hmm. Higher cholesterol, which we know if we, tr- if we unpack it, it's high stress, it's mm-hmm. pre-eating, and it's lack of exercise. Well, that comes because we're working 12 to 16 hours a day. We're taking care of our children. We're leading very overscheduled lives. I think that's where we have to pay more attention to our health. Mm-hmm. We're doing a lot as founders because we probably are doing everything in our business until we set up the systems. Once we get systems in place, like hiring an accountant, so we're not doing that and hiring a marketing or social media person. So we're not also doing that. Once we put systems in place, it frees us up to do other things. But in the beginning, we're doing everything. Right. And I think that level of stress is where we need more support to be able to do that successfully. Exactly. Yeah, I I would definitely agree and think of the times where I've had support in my business, whether it's from interns to other coaches or associates. And, and it really does impact my, my mental well-being as well. That sense of, oh, wow, I, that's, I can delegate that. That's not on my plate. And I can focus on other things. Mm-hmm. And, and when we talk about support, like partner support, I have had women who have decided to, and sometimes it was the right decision to leave a very hostile and stressful nine to five and to move into something more entrepreneurial because they had the skill set. It was just a startup and they don't have their partner support. Mm-hmm. So that's an additional stress where you're constantly being asked, well, what did you do today? How much money did you make today? You know, while you're trying to start that up, not having partner support. For me, that made all the difference. And my husband has always been supportive because he's always been an entrepreneur. 
Oh. I was the one with my feet dug in the sand and saying, no, but what about this? And what about that? And, you know, the security of that. And finally, when I first found my first office and he said, if I took away every excuse that you had, would you still not do it? Mm. And the excuse at the time was, I don't have the money. He goes, so if I take away that, would you still not do it? So every excuse that I came up with, he had a solution. <laughs> I to run out of things. And I, you know, I was like, I had to trust him. He says, okay, I got that. Let me help you start up. And I said, okay. So it was like, you know, if it wasn't for him, I probably would have still delayed this process. Right. I knew what happened. Right. That's, that's interesting. I always say my, my journey to entrepreneurship was uh, a little bit of a different spin where the universe, I, I got, I was right size, downsized, left size from two other uh, full-time opportunities. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that was how I ended up in this, in this world of entrepreneurship. So it's kind of funny that uh, I, it's, it's like we're both taking leaps of faith in right. different ways and and yeah, and then having the support uh, of, you know, I've worked with coaches too, you know, it's sort of like walking my talk and it is interesting, that sense of support. And for some, it might look like, you know, a, a love relationship. Others, it might be a friend or other mm-hmm. communities. Like you said, I know you like to go network uh, with, with other people in, in our industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, when you meet other people who've walked in the, your path that you're trying, you're like, oh, Okay. So if, if you guys can do it there, you know, I, I, I see myself being able to, when you see someone who's already done it and says, Hey, there, there are some things you need to know, but I have every faith in you, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious because I know that there are conversations that are being had about black women in the workplace and challenges um, that they, that we face in that arena. I'm also curious again, as a female founder, like what are, what are, have you seen either for yourself personally or through clients, like what are some of the stressors that, that women are bringing to you as being an entrepreneur or maybe, you know, running the side hustle and trying to launch? The number one thing that I have seen, um, not only personally, but for the women who are coming to me is women who are in positions, women of color who are in positions and their superior or administrator or manager, whoever's above them, who is less well-trained, who has less education, who has less knowledge and information, um, is undermining who they are, mm-hmm. uh, who is um, subjecting them to undue and sometimes unreasonable demands. And short of being outright and overtly um, gender um, biased and racially discriminating against them, they're right up against that wall where that's happening without it being so obvious that the person could be brought up on an EEOC complaint. Mm-hmm. But the women who, they are so stressed because they're biting their tongues. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be the angry black woman. They don't want to show out on the job, but they're being looked over, passed over for promotion. They are not being hired when other people from the outside with less experience are coming in and they are just holding stress in. Right. They have nowhere to go. 
people don't understand. They come home, they talk to their spouses and say, hey, that's a good job. You better not lose that job. Not even supporting that woman in what she's going through. Right. Um, and that has been the most difficult place and space in my, even in my own world where you feel so disregarded and disrespected and as if um, you, you, don't, you don't have the expertise to make the decisions that you know how to make because someone else says they know better than you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And I think what's the unique twist, at least in my experience, being from the entrepreneurial perspective is that so whereas, yes, I'm running my business, then I am still responsible for attracting new clients. Um, and I'm not and I'm talking a little less about my um, B2C, you know, like my coaching clients. I'm thinking mm -hmm. more about the work that we do with companies and organizations. Mm. So there is that perspective of, you know, for, for me or other female founders, right? You're, ne you're not necessarily sure when you don't get a bid or, you know, you don't get the project, right? What were the, what were the, the, the reasons for that decision? And so I think that, yeah, there are lots of challenges for women in the workplace exactly what you said spot on 100%. And then as the entrepreneur, there's also this kind of other ambiguity because, well, okay, we don't really know why that contract didn't pan out. So there's a different level of sometimes uncertainty unless it's, you know, a, a warm lead where, you know, I, I know someone at the company and I can be like, hey, you know, what happened here? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so, so I know that you are passionate about helping to reduce the stigma uh, for people of color who seek mental health treatment. How, how do you think we're doing on that as a community? Some days I feel like, wow, we're getting better. And then other times I'm seeing things that says we're taking 10 steps backwards. Mm. I think we're getting the information out there. I think we're not getting it into deep enough into communities that really need it. Um, so while I see tons of articles and outlets on social media, I don't know if the neighborhood down in South Philadelphia or in North Philadelphia has access to mental health you know, information. Um, so while we're putting it out there, we're doing networking events, we're doing conferences, I don't think that everybody's getting it. I think sometimes we have to get in the communities um, to get this information out there. Uh, I know that there are groups here, I can speak to like Philadelphia and New Jersey, and maybe a couple of other places where I know that I'm working more directly, but they're doing so much to give in their community. So the work is there. I just think we have um, a ways to go. But I think it will be ongoing because, as we know, recently we've had two um, people who survived um, one traumatic event to later, we find out maybe this week and last week, have taken their life by suicide. Right. And so with all of the information and the hotline numbers we have out there, we have the national hotline numbers for suicide. And there are other apps that people have created for mental health, particularly for young people. That is still becoming a choice. 
Mm-hmm. And it should never be that way that people are so tormented by traumatic events and d- depression and other mental illnesses that for them to alleviate pain is to not be around anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I, I know that I can speak to my community. I know more and more people of color are calling and they're showing up for psychotherapy mm-hmm. and they are doing their work here. I love it. But I bet for everyone I get here, there are 10 who aren't getting right. any Right. So if, if for any, um, I mean, t- we're talking a little bit more about female founders, but for anyone uh, that's listening to this, what, what tips or suggestions would you have, or, or maybe even better, like kind of what are the warning signs, would you say, around whether it's high stress, chronic stress, like what, what should we be looking out for in ourselves? Yeah, the first thing I would say is a real demoralization. Like things just don't seem to be working well. They don't feel like they have any kind of support, whether it's on their jobs or in their families. And they're starting to have really, really negative conversations in their head around, um, I can't do this anymore. This is horrible. Um, This is too hard for me. I feel alone. Um, And the helplessness and hopelessness are high indicators for persons who are considering suicide. Mm -hmm. So we want to be mindful of that. I think for me, the body talks. Many of us are physically and emotionally exhausted, but we won't stop. We keep pushing, we keep moving. We don't even stop long enough to check in with our own bodies when we're sick. We right. show up to work sick. We don't want to miss work or we can't, we're afraid that we can't miss work. So we're showing up in places and we're not even feeling well. And the body talks, the body's telling you. And I have a lot of folks who don't sleep. They say, well, I don't sleep because of this or I don't sleep because of that. And I often say, you know, eventually your body will shut down. You can wear it down or it will shut down. If it shuts down, you're probably going to be in the hospital. Right. You catch it and you work on how to bring it into some kind of stability, then you probably can manage it on your own. So either you shut your body down or it will shut down on you. Right. Those are the kind of things I look for people whose immune systems, they constantly seem to have some kind of cold or something's breaking out on them because they don't realize that internally the stress manifests externally. Right. other kind of, I think education around what does stress look like is also a great conversation um, for people who think the stress is just breaking down. Well, no, there are steps before that. We can catch it um, before it gets to the point where people break down. Um, and that's general education. I, we do wellness talks all the time. But I, again, I think people, we are in this world where everything is happening and should have happened yesterday. Right, right. So, Right. And again, for founders, that extra pressure of, and particularly if you're a solo founder, right, that sense of if I don't do it, it won't get done. Mm -hmm. And then the flip side of that, like you're saying, yes, the body keeps score. So, but if you don't make those different choices, right, then, then there's the consequences of, okay, now I'm, now I'm, now I'm taken down. So then, then there's the long-term implications to your business for that. So it's kind of like taking the quick break versus getting completely taken out and then having to, you know, take months off. Yeah. 
here's the mistake I made many years ago that I stopped. I used to think that work really hard from January through November and then save all your, save your little vacation for December because most people take off, kids are off on holidays and I wouldn't take much time off at all. Mm. And so I thought, wow, you're working 11 months waiting to get to December so that you could have some time off. And I realized that over the years, by the time I reached October, I was sick. Mm. And this happened two years in a row before I really figured it out. Like it's because you're stretching yourself too far before you take a break. Right. And so as an entrepreneur, that's what I was doing. I was like, well, I got to build up this fund or I got to build up this time or, or people are calling and I have to take and meet them. And so I was letting the business run me and not me running my business. Oh, that's amazing. That's a great, that's a great quote, I think. And, and we all, and I would, I'm raising my hand on that too. I have definitely (laughs) fallen into that, that mode. And, and I think it's the awareness of it, right? Recognizing that there might be crunch times, right? And, and then, right, not letting the crunch time be 11 months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, so within that context, uh, I ask all of my guests to share, what does start within mean to you? Hmm. So start within for me is looking at what's happening inside of me in terms of my thoughts and in my body and start within in terms of if I want to make changes, whether it's in my health, whether it's in my relationships or my business, I have to start within me. And the old cliche of the man looking in the mirror, mm-hmm. I feel like it's the same way. You start within to work without. So I can't give to others what I don't have or what we say we can't pour into others what we, when we're, our cup is um, empty. Right. So starting within for me is looking at what I have to offer, what I have in terms of my value, putting a worth on that, and then being able to give that out. That's beautiful. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, that yeah. definition for you. So uh, I know we've had a, a lots of things, and I'm definitely going to think of a way we're going to have another uh, conversation together really soon just to okay. keep this conversation going. So how can people learn more about you and the work that you're doing? And if they wanted to perhaps take advantage of, of your services? So I'm in New Jersey in case people are um, listening all over the um, U.S. and abroad. I'm in the state of New Jersey. I can be found on social media at Clack Angela, which my last name is C-L-A-C-K, or Dr. Angela Clack. Um, I also have my website, which is www.clackassociates.com. And then I'm now working to build up my YouTube channel because that's one that I had not paid much attention to. So I'm working on that one now. And that is under my first name as well, Angela Clack. Fantastic. Well, I'm so glad that we spent this time together. I want to thank you for the work that you are doing to support the mental health and well-being for people in your community and beyond. Yes, and I um, I have appreciated. I really appreciate your questions. I've, I'm thankful for um, the questions that are getting people to think about mental health. And even for me, I love some of the questions and the way that they came out. Even things came out of me today that I hadn't even thought more about. Um, so I love when it generates the creative space in me. So thank you so much for the interview and for the opportunity to be a part of your community. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. And so we're excited to continue the opportunity to chat. And until then, everyone, remember to start within to finish strong.